You're locked in to DJ and PK. Lock. Presented by Mark Miller Subaru on 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Lock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Mad Marshall, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He covers UCF as well. UCF and BYU getting ready to meet in the Boca Raton Bowl. Mad, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. You're right there watching UCF, and we all became aware of them as they put together, uh, what was it, a 25-game win streak, and it was an awesome run. And they're still pretty good. They're 6-3. and three. Uh, but when I look at their scores, and I'm not watching them, you know, that close, but when I look at their scores, they give up 34 points or more five times, and yet the offense is just putting up 44 points, 51 points, 49 points. Is the offense really that good? Is the defense really that bad? Well, the offense is really that good. I can, I can attest to that. I mean, listen, this is a team that has done, at least the last three or four years, has really been outstanding when it comes to this fast-paced, explosive offense they like to take advantage of big plays they're not you know afraid to take the ball deep down the field um they you know have talented skill position players at wide receiver you know talented running backs they love to mix things up offensively um they're a team that like you know averages over you know more than 40 points a game over the last you know couple seasons and and you know they, they like to do that and they like to take advantage of that i think the defense at times has had issues you know definitely uh in the last couple seasons playing them some explosive teams. Uh, some of that can be from the fact that because UCF's offense is so explosive, they're on the field a lot more than they're probably most uh, defenses are, are on as well. And so this team has had has had trouble at times, especially in the second half of games, particularly this year. And I think that's something that they've been trying to work on and focus on over the last couple of weeks. Myron Robinson and Jalen, or Myron Williams, I should say, and Jalen Robinson, two big-time, at least statistically, receivers. They're not necessarily that big physically, but they are a dangerous combo. I would assume you think BYU is going to have their hands full with them. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, you know, when, when you look at UCF, you know, Jalen Robinson, for one, is kind of a guy who was a transfer from Oklahoma a guy that, you know, we really weren't sure what he was going to be like this year and has really came on to be an explosive type player. He's, he's a big, big play player, averages more than 18 yards a carry, um, definitely putting together a stellar season. Now, Marlon Williams won't be playing in this game. He, he's opted out. He's decided to go to the NFL. Um, he had a great season, 71 catches, full of 1,000 yards. He was kind of their go-to guy. He stepped in and replaced Gabe Davis. He ended up going to the NFL and playing for the Buffalo Bills. So they had a... a explosive you know one-two punch but this team is, is lined up at receiver i mean you got robinson you got jacob harris trey nixon who was hurt for most of the year uh he's coming back um this group is, is really you know talented tall lengthy type guys guys that are willing to, to take advantage of secondaries um and i, I think they're, they're they continue to add these kind of players and i think it's going to be something that will be fun to watch over the next couple of years so is Jacob Harris the guy to watch then? His stats, you know, on 26 catches, he's just catching two or three balls a game. But then you see it's 18 yards a catch, and he's got seven touchdowns off his 26 catches. So he's obviously really good in the red zone. Yeah, he's really good. He's a tall guy, too. Here's a guy, by the way, who didn't really – he played a little football but then wanted to play soccer and played soccer for a while and, and finally made the switch back to football. So he's kind of been late in life, kind of got back into this football thing, and he's really taken advantage of his size. He was outstanding in their final game against the USF. He had three touchdown catches. I think another guy to watch is definitely Ryan O'Keefe, 
Brian O'Keefe's one of the faster guys on this team. He's a Texas product. Uh, he, you know, he's a guy that they love to take advantage of. And Nixon, like I mentioned, who was, you know, really was outstanding last year. Um, you know, he was hurt. He, he uh, had dislocated collarbone in the opener against Georgia Tech. He's been back over the last couple of weeks. I expect him to pick up a bigger role as well. And it's not to mention just these guys. They've also got a, a good tight end in Jake Hescott and a couple of running backs that they like to use. So there's so many weapons for Dylan Gabriel, quarterback, to take advantage of. That's why the offense is went as smoothly as it has. Tell us about Gabriel. We understand he's from the islands, and people from the islands don't like BYU. <laughs> yeah, he's, it's funny. It's, it's, we, we, I got a chance to talk with uh, with Dylan's family. Uh, you know, Garrett uh, Gabriel, if you recall, was a, a quarterback at Hawaii uh, years ago and, and played against BYU several times. And when Dylan was growing up, you know, they would put on these videotapes, you know, of, of his dad's performances against BYU. And, you know, I think that's where he learned to kind of have that kind of sort of rivalry look towards BYU. So when it was announced that they were going to, that UCF was going to end up facing BYU this week, um, you know, I think Dylan kind of laughed because, you know, he knew this is kind of something they've been talking about for years, you know, never thought he'd have an opportunity, but, but here he is now. And, uh, you know, Dylan's had an outstanding first two seasons here at UCF. I mean, he took over the starting job basically uh, in game two last year, and he's really been explosive. He's really kind of developed into this offense. Uh, this year he's been able to, to, to utilize, uh, like I mentioned, all these skilled position players. He's got a great touch. Um, you know, he can scramble out of the pocket. He's starting to use his legs a lot more than he did maybe the first half of last season. Um, he's able to provide them with much more experience, you know, in the pocket. Um, and I think some of that, too, also comes from the fact that he's been, you know, his best friend is Mackenzie Milton, you know, and Mackenzie Milton, you know, kind of helped groom him over the last couple of years while he was dealing with his own injury rehab. So I think all in all, that's helped Dylan kind of develop into an outstanding quarterback. You mentioned the running backs in passing, Greg McRae, Otis, Otis Anderson, and Bentavious Thompson. None of them have 700 yards rushing, but they all have at least 300 yards rushing. The thing that caught my eye is they're all over five yards per carry, and they kind of split up 18 touchdowns among them. This, is, uh, this is, seems like classic running back by committee. Are they all healthy? Are they all opting into the game? Do they actually have all three guys at their disposal? Yeah, as far as we know, yeah, they're all opting. We asked Josh Heifel the other day if anyone was going to opt out, and he, he said that at this point, you know, it looked like they'd be up full speed to go. Yeah, this is an, a, a great running back you know, group. You know, this is, I think what helps them a lot is this is a group that, because of the fact that UCF likes to push the ball, likes to go uh, deep, you know, I think that kind of opens up the middle and allows the, the running back to take advantage of the situation. Greg McClay is really only two years removed from having a thousand yard season. Otis Anderson, uh, was, uh, for a while there, was used as a slot you know, receiver at times. Bentavious Thompson is a big back, a guy they kind of use to grind out things. Like you mentioned, these guys all can, can take advantage of the thing. And what's amazing is most people think UCF's offense is just throwing the football, but they really do like to run the football. They average over 200 yards a game. Um, you know, They really enjoy using that running game to kind of mix things up a little bit as well. They've got lots of speed in that, in that backfield as well. They've got a couple of younger guys and Johnny Richardson and Denarius Good super fast as well and I think again that's what Josh Heupel and his staff have done is they continue to recruit these speedsters and they continue to add them into this offense that's been really starting to pay off when you look at the scoreboard. So reading up on uh, UCF defensive line coach Shane Berman says uh, calls Zach Wilson as good a quarterback as they've seen this year and they face some good ones probably uh, Cincinnati's and then Memphis's white comes to mind and those guys had success against UCF. So what can I assume that BYU is going to have a fair amount of success moving the ball? 
Well, I, I, yeah, I think what's going to happen is, you know, for, for UCF defensively, what they have to do and what, where they found their success on defense is they've got to be aggressive up front. They've got to be able to get pressure on the quarterback. When they've been able to get pressure on the quarterback and kind of take them out of their rhythm, then that's where they've had their success. We've seen that even in the Cincinnati loss, you know, early on in the first half, they were able to get to, you know, to, uh, to Ritter to kind of make him uncomfortable. They slowed down the running game. They kind of got everyone, you know, really kind of out of their offensive set. Where they struggle is when they can't get that pressure. When, when they can, when quarterbacks can take advantage, if the pocket starts to break down, if they can run out of the pocket, if they can make things happen with their legs, that's when all of a sudden where they struggle a little bit. Let's not forget UCF has two freshmen, two freshmen playing at cornerback this season, um, and, and Corey Thornton. Uh, and, and you know, I think that's a guy that you know teams have tried to take advantage of because he's a true freshman. They've had to go with some younger guys at different spots. They had ten guys opt out before the season started because of the COVID situation. They lost uh, a couple starters, four starters, because of some off-the-field issues back in October. Um, so there's a lot of younger guys that have had to kind of step in and take on some roles and kind of grow as, as the season has gone on. So I think in, in regards, that's why some of the issues have happened defensively because, again, you're getting freshmen and sophomores, guys who maybe didn't get a lot of snaps for the last season or so, getting opportunities to play, and they're just really trying to grow into that role. And I think that's what is the, the challenge is going to be with, with a guy like Wilson is making sure he doesn't get too much out of the pocket and take advantage of things. Matt Michelle joining us, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel, covers UCF as well. I'm curious, uh, you know, the reputation is UCF has a ton of speed. Does that translate into big plays on special teams and big returns? You know, they, used, they have in the past. You know, last, this past season, not so much so, I, I think – you know, we haven't had opportunities to see that kind of to go up there and see that speed. Otis Anderson, as I mentioned, who was not only the running back and, and, and you know, slot receiver, also played a little bit, you know, at kick returns. Johnny Richardson, who I mentioned, also was on kick returns. We haven't seen those opportunities to have those kind of big play, uh, you know, uh, special teams with kickoff returns. Um, I know they've been itching to do so because, you know, they again, they've had that speed. Um, a lot of teams learned quickly not to maybe kick to some of these guys or at least give them opportunities to do that. Um, and I think, too, you know, when you're up big, you know, uh, in some of these games, they just haven't taken advantage of the opportunity. So um, I think they would love to have that shot. But, again, this team is so loaded with speed, they try to put those guys out there in those special team situations. Do you think the AAC would be interested in having BYU join? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I think at some point because of the situation, you know, because of losing UConn, um, I think that, there's been talk of that, you know. I, I when I wrote a couple, you know, a year ago, uh, when UConn left, that you know this would be an opportunity maybe to get a team like BYU, to bring them in there. I think it would obviously bring a lot of national cachet. Um, something the American has been trying to do, uh, you know. they when you look at college football right now, the AAC is, is clearly the best, you know, of the Group of Five schools, and they want to be, you know, included in that kind of Power Five discussion. Uh, so if you add a, a school like BYU, you, you might be able to do that, and especially what BYU has been able to do with its, you know, with football program uh, historically has done well. I, I think that would be a huge addition to them. Now I'm not sure. At some point, I know Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American, has mentioned you know they've, they've had little they've had talks here or there. I'm not sure what route he wants to go. I mean, I think BYU is definitely going to be on that list if I was making some phone calls. Um, I know Boise State was there at one point as, as well, but. Um, it would be interesting, and I think if you think about you know the, the teams that are playing now, you think about the Cincinnati and the Memphises and the UCF. Um, I, I think it would be a huge addition to bring a, another brand name like BYU in there as well. And, and I'm, I'm sure 
even in a way, BYU would be interested in that just with the with the national exposure and the tie-ins that, that the, the conference is starting to develop over the last couple of years. All of this sounds good, but if we step back and I just let my cynical brain wander, I think they're more likely to freeze out one of the Power Five, maybe not push them out, but at least freeze them out the way they kind of joke about the Pac-12 now than they are to let another league in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, listen, I think it's a great idea, and I understand why the American does what it's trying to do. You know, they want to be included in that discussion. Um, I, I'm not sure if the, if the Power Five is, is ready to make that move. You know, I think there's been a lot of discussion, especially based on what's happened this year economically with the pandemic, that, you know, that the Power Five conferences are more likely to, to form their own, you know, to split away and form their own governance you know, uh, body, you know what I mean, and, and deal with their own situation. Now, if that would happen, maybe they would reach out and add a couple schools here or there, but I'm not sure they're going to add a, a, another lead to that mix. Again, when we get back down to it, it's all about money. And, and you know, you, you, you add a, another league, you're going to have to find a way to split the money or, or find a way to make more money to, to make it evenly. And I'm just not sure if these conferences are ready to do that right now. So um, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough place to be in if you're the American because you are playing really well. You're doing the things you're supposed to be doing. You're, you're adding big games. You're trying to continue and do all the things and provide the things that the Power Five conferences are providing to their schools. But eventually at some point you're not getting paid the same money. And that's where I think they're, they're struggling at times and some of their schools are trying to keep up with everyone. What's your evaluation of the four that got in? You know, I, I, I hate to say this. I thought that was probably where it was going to happen. Um, you know, I think the biggest knock was going to be Ohio State. You know, did Ohio State deserve to be in? You know, I think the committee proved right off early on that they thought Ohio, very highly of Ohio State and, and based on what they were able to do this season. Now, is that fair? Is it fair to a Cincinnati that's 9-0? Is it fair to, you know, Texas A&M that has one loss to a you know, to a uh, you know Alabama team that's the number one team in the country, probably not. I think that's a lot of the concern is you know how is it fair that they got in? Uh, they were conference champions and, and they they did look impressive in some of their wins, but outside of, of Northwestern, Indiana was their, their best win, and they really didn't play a tough schedule. And, and you know the Big Ten was down I think a lot this year. So um, I think this this group and what the committee went through this year, I think really showcased how there's definitely some deficiencies in the process. And the fact that maybe it's time to really start thinking about expanding the playoffs. I mean, four isn't, isn't, doesn't seem to be the right way now. And I think at some point we've got to either get it to six or eight. Now the contra- current contract doesn't go in until six more years. So it's going to have to take everyone stepping up to the plate to do this. And if the SEC and, and the Big Ten and the ACC aren't willing to do that, then I don't think it's going to happen until the contract ends. You know, I think there's two things. Number one, I don't think it will happen until the contract ends. And number two, uh, I think teams getting left out, because when you get branded that you are left out, it's such a scarlet letter. So I get why there's this discussion of, you know, what's fair, what's appropriate and all that. But if you go to what's competitive, I feel like no matter who they put in at number four, there's a pretty good chance Alabama runs them off the field. They've already destroyed A&M. Notre Dame. Did be Clemson at home, but obviously Clemson was missing their quarterback. And they get Lawrence back, and they run Notre Dame off the field. Notre Dame's been run off the field a half dozen times over 20 years. I kind of think I'm going to see that one more time. And I think Cincinnati should be getting a shot and that they should be in. And at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama ran them off the field either. So to identify the national champion, four is enough. But when you identify four playoff teams, teams are feeling slighted. Even if they just got in, got beat, and were out right away. 
I think they prefer that as opposed to being dismissed and not even getting on the field. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a good point. I think the one thing that that's also been brought up, and I think it's it's a, it's a true thing, is the fact that I think you're starting to lose the fan base. I think there are a lot of people, especially the last couple of years, are, are tired of seeing the same four teams playing in you know in, in the uh, the playoffs. You know, you think I think there've been 11 teams in the last 28 you know, uh, you know semifinal games, and and you know the same 11 teams, and it's 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 after a while it starts to wear on fans that you're seeing the Alabamas and and the Clemson's and Ohio State. Now I, I get it; they're the best programs in the country, and they deserve to be where they're at. Um, but at some point, I think the reason that NCAA basketball March Madness is so appealing to people is because of the fact you get these different storylines, you get different teams. Maybe a team can make a run and all of a sudden find its way into, into the title game. Um, those are the things that appeal to the sports fan, and I think with college football, which has done a great job over the last decade or so to really increase its brand, you know, and, and, and get its fan base going. Um, if you start to push some of those fans away because they feel like, well, there's no way, you know, our team's going to be in it. And it's not as exciting to watch, you know, a, a lower bowl game um, than it is a semifinal. I, I think then that's, that's got to be a concern. I mean, it's been addressed in the past. I know Alabama's uh, Nick Saban talked about his concern with the playoff would start to, you know, really pushing down the bowl games themselves. But I think it's true. Look at how much discussion we're, we're talking about. On, on the semifinals, we've talked very little about, as a whole, as a country, about some of the other games, the New Year's Six games and some of the other bowl games. So um, it's, it's definitely got to be a concern. It's something that the, I'm sure the committee and, and the college, you know, college football higher-ups have to start thinking about and wondering what's going to happen. Well, Matt, we appreciate the time. Thanks for spending a few minutes talking to us. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Take care and have a happy holiday. All right, you too. Matt Marcel joining us, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel. Sniggy. Covers UCF as well. What the heck is a scarlet letter? You don't know what a scarlet letter is? You went to Arizona State. Walter Cronkite is spinning in his grave. Okay, I looked it up. It's a stigma of a woman committing adultery. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> who's committing adultery here? Well, a scarlet dev- letter. Yeah. <laughs> Who's committing adultery? It's been used in literature for over 150 years, PK. I'm sure you knew the term. You're just being difficult. I did not. I have honestly, I had no idea. I've heard the phrase, but I have no idea what it meant. Oh, there you go. Well, now you're up to. And I don't think that I'll ever use it. I'll never use it. And I would dare say, I'm going to make this thing now. It's always with you. It's always two things. It's never one thing or three things. I always like that. You always, it's always, well, two things come to mind. You did it again. I'm going to make this statement. In our next 19 years of doing a show together, <laughs> you will <laughs> never use the phrase scarlet letter again. Two things. Two things. <laughs> and I'm not sure that you used it in a correct context this time. Yeah, but it got your attention, and now it's entertained you for 30 what, seconds. So What I does it have to do with adultery? Which obviously is on your mind. You done? Or is there another phrase? Oh, no, excuse me. Is there another meaning? Because I don't think you meant it in the form of adultery. So tell me. It's usually a, a mark against you. It's like a, a mark against a, you? A demerit. Not? How about that? It's a, that's okay. a demerit. That's a tardy, Mr. Kinahan. You were lingering in the halls too long <laughs> talking sports with your buddies. Get in here and learn. No, I had three women. We were talking the weekend plans is what yeah. we're doing. Well, back to the okay, scarlet so it's a demerit. letter. Hey, well, the scarlet married, letter <laughs> is is a is a demerit. It's, it's a knock against you. It's a negative. Yes. 
So it's taken Some, beyond adultery. Yes. Because I did, I did go to the dictionary. What is a scarlet letter? Okay. And so what is the, what is the scarlet letter in this case? I think when you talk to college football playoffs, they don't uh, – the, it's not about the results on the field. It's about the brand names. And, and there's like three different ways to measure it. And if they don't get the team they want using any of those measurements, you know, uh, the record, the strength of schedule, uh, game control is the new thing this year, well, then they just go to the eye test. No, oh, no, well, the we- eye test, it just tells you. And then what do you end up with? You end up with Notre Dame – who just got annihilated by Clemson is still in the playoff. All right, but if Notre Dame gets annihilated by Alabama, okay, but, but Notre Dame, well, is that it though? I mean, we we basing on who gives no, Alabama I think it was the everything, best shot. I think it was everything they it. did in the month leading up to this. You know, moving up a two-loss Iowa State team to put them at the brink of the playoff. Now they lost Oklahoma, so it ended up not mattering. But to put them at the if, if things broke. Crazy? Were they going to put Iowa State in with two losses, including a home loss to Louisiana? What are you doing here? Well, I think you're they're just, putting them what they accomplished, not what they didn't accomplish. You don't want they you, beat Oklahoma. You don't want Cincinnati in, no matter what. Well, what has Cincinnati done? Undefeated season, won their conference, beat ranked teams. What what, what ranked teams? Uh, I got to look the, at their the schedule. The rankings were I mean, all ju- well. You can't go Tulsa. crazy on Louisiana being uh, this powerhouse and being ranked the rankings were bogus this year i mean there was teams that have never been ranked that were ranked. okay so if louisiana is in a powerhouse then iowa state lost to a lousy team at home they by did. 17 well they're not in though yeah I mean, but they were they were, they, they were never going to, to put them in, in. they no, were they setting it up to no, put in anybody other than cincinnati and give cincinnati me a warm dulked, body with two losses and cincinnati put, ducked ducked tulsa they didn't play them, so they didn't have to play them twice. Right. So don't go act like Cincinnati is Mother Teresa over here. Everybody was ducking everybody at the end of the season. Clemson and Notre Dame, the ACC changed their rules. Ohio State got a rule change. Everybody was changing right. everything on the fly to put so themselves in the So why criticize them light. when they're just doing what everybody else does? You're the one criticizing Cincinnati, not me. No, I'm, I'm saying why criticize ACC and – uh, all the stuff that you said. Why I wasn't. I wasn't. Them? I'm letting. I'm letting Clemson in. I wasn't criticizing them at all. But well, it's you, just you, like you Cincinnati, the ACC, the American. Well, if you're going to criticize the American, then criticize the ACC. You were the one who brought up Cincinnati altered their schedule down the stretch because they didn't right. want to play the same team twice in eight days. Right. Which actually kind of makes sense to me. I mean, that's well, a weird does, thing to you're do. You're arguing for Cincinnati. It's a to weird get thing in. to do. Yeah. I mean, they didn't play their schedule. They tried to backdoor it, and it didn't work. It was never going to work. They were already out by then. They had been, what was that phrase that got used with BYU in 2001? Released from consideration. I hadn't heard that. When they moved them down two weeks in a row when they weren't playing, they were released from consideration. They weren't getting in. I, I hadn't heard that phrase. Maybe I guess I, I guess I missed that. DJ and PK, we got to go to break. We've got the uh, play of the day coming up. The Road Home Radiothon continues. You can make a donation during the holiday uh, mediathon right now. Call the Road Home at 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. You can donate online at theroadhome.org. And the Men's Resource Center is, is accepting drop-off items. If you want to drop off uh, socks, underwear, gloves, coats, masks, 
uh, either homemade or uh, store-bought, either one. They can use all those things at the Men's Resource Center, 3380 South, 1000 West in South Salt Lake. The phone number to donate is 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or online at theroadhome.org. For many of our listeners, the daily grind begins at 6 a.m. sharp. Wake up. But for some of our uh, slightly less ambitious listeners, uh, what? this segment is for you. These are your 9 o'clock where the heck have you been slacker headlines. Wake up. With DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This is Chevy Strong. Play of the game. Ty Jordan's 13-yard touchdown run to put the Utes in front, 35-28 over Washington State. Know that today at 450 on the Big Show, and you can win fabulous prizes. That was his third touchdown run. PK, the 33-yarder on fourth and one, he got to the corner, turned that corner, and just was flying to the end zone. And that was an electric play. But that 13-yard touchdown run up the middle, he's kind of angling to the right and then takes some kind of hop, skip, cutting back to the left. That, that was a big-time move. That's the kind of way NFL backs move in traffic to pick up a few more yards. He was so impressive. Another big game for him. It's uh, one of the questions we've been talking about this morning. Uh, the Utes go 3-2, and two, evaluate the season, and a lot of people are giving it a big thumbs up because they found Ty Jordan. So you're saying he should opt out the next two years and prepare for the draft? Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. I would keep playing <laughs> football. <laughs> but I just have to think, NFL scouts look at that and write down on their sheet, yeah, we need more people to evaluate this guy because they have all these scouts. You know, then somebody else has to give him a second look, and then the GM has to look. But, yeah, yeah, we want to keep our eye on this guy. Well, he'll get 50 looks by the time he's done. Right. And so uh, I would advise him if he continues on this track, to be a three-and-done guy, for sure, because you're an NFL running back. You only got so many hits in you take advantage of, and those guys seem to, of all the positions in the NFL, they seem to be the most interchangeable. Uh, here today, gone tomorrow, Todd Gurley on top of the world, and they're releasing you like the next day, it seemed, <laughs> practically with the Rams a couple years back when he was all that. So, absolutely, Ty Jordan looks like an amazing young talent. And keep it going, man. Looking exciting for you. You'd have to pencil pencil him in, uh, barring injury, for uh, you know thousand plus yards next year, which is what Utah does. They found another one. There's some fourth grader out there right now who's going to be rushing for a thousand yards, wearing the uh, crimson red here in uh, ten years or so. It just seems like it's just one after another, man. And it even goes. It's not just Kyle because we say, oh wow, things can change with Kyle. Actually, McBride. It goes since I've been. I don't go my length of uh, football for Utah. Doesn't go back any beyond Ron McBride. I knew literally nothing about the program until I got here, and so we saw McBride put in a bunch of great running backs. And Jamal Urban wasn't here Anderson. Long enough. Yeah, Jamal yeah. Anderson, and then into a slew of them. Chris Fuamatu Maafala. I just like to say that, but he was a Steeler for several years. Yes, he was. Yeah, uh, you can't even you can't even list all the good backs without no, forgetting some. You're right, absolutely. Uh, 
The Utes' other news came on uh, Sunday, I guess it was, when we heard about all the transfers in the quarterback room. Baylor grad transfer, Charlie Brewer, who's thrown for just a shade under 10,000 yards, and former Texas quarterback Jaquindon Jackson is coming to use. He'll be a freshman, and obviously they've got the freshman coming in, uh, Costelli, from Southern California. So they'll have two freshmen, they'll have a sophomore, and they'll have a senior. So the quarterback room's pretty deep all of a sudden. Now the question is, who's going to uh, – is all that competition going to spur someone to play at a really high level? Because if the Utes get high-level quarterbacking play, Katie, bar the door, PK. Hmm, can, is the offense capable of getting high quality? Or what did you call it? High level, I think you said. Yeah. Is that a phrase you used? Yep. Are they capable of getting high-level quarterbacking? Can you have – can you have an offense that has everything? Because you take a look at USC. For years and years, they had great running backs, right? Well, now they're throwing the ball a ton, and they're not running it that much. So my point is, so they their receivers are just incredible, and they didn't and collectively didn't have their best game the other night. But the running has suffered. So is it capable to have high level across the board offensively? I wonder if it really is. Can you have those quarterbacks do everything? Can you have have the offense do everything that it needs to do? I, I, I wonder if that's possible. I think Kyle, if he were sitting here, would say, well, we're not going to throw for four or 5,000 yards, but we're going to be efficient when we do throw it. You know, Regardless of the total yards and the total attempts, if you're going to have three touchdowns for every interception, if you're going to uh, complete 65% of your passes – yeah, but, I mean, do you need uh, attempts? Do you need to get in the flow to be able to do that? Do, are they going to get big-time receivers that can go get 50-50 balls? So it sounds good. Well, just add this. Add water, and you have got just a beautiful drink. I mean, <laughs> I just don't know that it works that way because if I do something over here, am I doing it at the expense of something over there? We've talked some other stuff this morning. BYU basketball, that was a nice win at 18th-ranked San Diego State on Friday. They were up 14 and really in control and dominating the game, and they wobbled, and San Diego State started hitting threes, and they had a guy get hot, and they went on a 14-0 run. It, yeah, and he would finish, like 35 points? Yeah. Yeah, and he tied, they tied the game at 61 on a 14-0 run. And you're thinking, well, these last two minutes, is BYU going to right the ship here and seal the deal? And they went on an 11-1 run and made their free throws down the stretch and won the game and got stops. Yeah, that's where I think that uh, not having a crowd really played into it. So they didn't have to face that. But that works both ways for everybody. No, there's not a crowd to spur you on. There's not a crowd to intimidate you. I think the best thing about BYU is they're sort of finding their way. You're seeing some greater identity on offense. It's not Barcelo driven them around trying to find a shot or somebody passing it around two or three times and somebody jacks up a three. You know, they're, they're starting to have an identity. And I think for them to be able to achieve what they want, that's what they've got to have. And I, I like the way they deed up early, too. I thought uh, that was a, a large contributor of the Aztecs, baby, not being able to find a flow. Uh, early in the game. So clearly the best game they've played this season. That was point-a-minute defense early on. They gave up like 10 points in 10 minutes to open the game. They were up 18-10. And like you said, that that gave them confidence, gave them control, and that's really what they rode to that 14-point lead before before they wobbled, but then they, they found a way to seal the deal and win. 
All right, DJ and PK, we're brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Your feedback, next. As another show comes to an end, comes to an end, it's time to hear from you. Is this live right now? From your calls, tweets, and open mics, this is the best feedback of the day. This is why we lost the game. Presented by Strong Audi on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Reach for more of the things you can count on. Reach for more of what's real and will last. We're a play, a game, or all season. Reach for more with our own Utah Jazz. Reach for more. Okay, checking in, PK. How long is the streak going to go, you think? <laughs> uh, I think till Capital signs him. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Maybe Electra. Warner Brothers, <laughs> <laughs> Electra, <laughs> independent label, somebody. <laughs> Time for your feedback. Uh, you can do what Kay does. Well, you don't have to sing. I mean, you can if you want. You don't have to. Uh, but use the app and use the open mic feature and send us your take, and we'll get them on the air. Uh, we've got a lot of feedback. The Utes finished three and two. Evaluate their season. The account fire Kyle Whittingham at Fire Coach Witt. As per usual, Witt is going to wit and blow a 21-point lead. This isn't going to change. We need new, fresh leadership if we want to win a conference championship. Hashtag Fire Whittingham. Which draws this response from Kevin. If you think the Utes would be better off without Witt, then you're an idiot. (laughs) You're a dimwit. (laughs) That escalated quickly. (laughs) That guy's been on that train for a good long while. Yeah, there's a hill he wants to die on, and that's it. Yeah, so it's not not going to happen. They extended him for, what, through 26, 27, something like that? Yeah. Now, I don't think he'll be coaching that long, but uh, that's, that, was, that's, that's the because, extension. But that's because of his decision, not because of anyone else's decision. Yeah, 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 and it's about continuity. And this is what I think that what you have to do, though, when you are not a true blue blood. You know, you've got to do things a little bit different. And I give Mark Harlan credit for doing, trying to do something different. Let's try to lock down stability. And then when we get to that point, if, well, it's not going to be uh, if, it's going to be when Kyle wants to step down, that the idea being that there's a smooth transition and so you can continue it because so many of these teams in this conference have been so wildly up and down depending on uh, the moment, basically, and you want to avoid that. You want to be good and then have your shot at very good when it comes along. Legally Grand says the BYU coaching staff is already having nightmares about Ty Jordan. I would assume a lot of teams are having nightmares about Ty Jordan. But I don't think they're having nightmares yet. <laughs> now, maybe tomorrow morning. they got a bowl it, game to worry about first. Well, not tomorrow morning. The game's tomorrow night. Yeah. Uh, so, Wednesday morning then. Because uh, they, they play BYU and Utah. Is it the first game of next season? Uh, you know, I think I read. I haven't looked at their schedule. I thought I read that Weber State was their opener okay. next year. So. Uh, speaking of the Cougars? Uh, the Utes uh, opener is Weber No, I'm talking about BYU. BYU will start worrying about Utah when they're the next game up. That's my point that I'm making. Yeah. 
I don't know what their schedule is next year, but certainly, yeah, Ty Jordan, he's he's going to be a load. I mean, everybody in the conference is going to be concerned about him. Here's the date. Mark it down and, and circle it. The Utes are going to open against Weber State on Thursday, September 2nd, and then they are at BYU on Saturday, September 11th. Play San Diego State on the 18th, and then it's into conference play, and that portion of the schedule isn't set yet. So home to Weber State, at BYU, at San Diego State. Well, let's just hope that it actually happens. Uh, yeah, I'm counting on it by next September. Is that wrong? No. Should I not be doing that? I'm counting on that. No. I'm reading no, all the I... stuff about the vaccine and that we're all getting vaccinated March, April, May, June, somewhere in there, and by July we're supposed to be in pretty good shape. Even if we're behind schedule, that still allows a month of August. Well, you keep track of that more than I do, and I mean that sincerely. I'm not kidding around. You do. You're more well-read on that stuff than I am. So uh, if you're confident, that gives me a level of confidence. Yeah, but I've been wrong, too. So Although <laughs> my I did, confidence I, may be misplaced. You know, my wife being a teacher, she's in line to get that. Yep. So I consulted with an authority uh, the other day, and this authority gave me a ringing endorsement. For what it's worth, I have no idea whether, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, I, because I'm not going to be in line for it anytime soon. But my wife has an opportunity, and you had to tell them that you wanted it. So I started doing some research on it, and the first person I told, I talked to, who I trust about 99.9%, uh, gave it a ringing endorsement, and uh, I was told she needs to get it. So take that for what it's worth. It's not coming from me because I am uneducated. It's coming from someone in the medical field who I trust implicitly. Yeah, I think that decision, to get serious for a second and not our usual screwing around, I think that decision could be a big decision for a lot of people who are kind of at the front of the line here, uh, healthcare mm-hmm. providers, elite politicians, teachers, probably yeah. not very far down the road. But well, by right. the time it gets right, to people right, right. like you and I, and I don't right. know where we are in line, but I'm just assuming we're pretty far back, that this thing will be covered in the media extensively, and it'll be an easy decision for you and I because so many people will have had it, you know. That as far as how safe it is and allergic reactions and all the other questions that people are bringing up, by the time it gets to you and I, it'll it'll be totally. I'm not worried about it personally. For me, it's down the line. Right. But for her, they had to let the school district know: Do you want it or you don't want it? And I said, "We'll put it down there, and then we can go forward." So I, as I say, I got in touch with someone, and I was uh, pleased on how positive this person was. So that's probably where we're going. All right, DJ and PK, a reminder, if you're still looking for that last-minute holiday gift, stop by NEMA at 10741, 10741 South River Parkway, uh, South Riverfront Parkway. It's just south of Mulligan's. That will help you locate it right there. Uh, just south of Mulligan's. And get $50 free when you purchase a $150 gift card. NEMA is the perfect gift for the holidays. Also, the Road Home Mediathon continues. You can donate online at theroadhome.org. Theroadhome.org. They can use your support right now, providing housing. We've got about uh, 2,000 homeless people uh, on the Wasatch Front on any given night, and about 750 of them stay at one of the Road Home facilities. Uh, you can donate over the phone at 801 or online at theroadhome.org. If you want to drop off socks, underwear, masks, coats, gloves, uh, blankets, they can use all of those items at the Men's Resource Center, 3380 South, 1000 West. DJ and PK, we are out of here. Scotty and Hans are next. We'll see you. I guess that's it. We'll see you all tomorrow. We'll talk tomorrow. 
So we'll talk tomorrow. We're good. We're gonna talk tomorrow. We're gonna we'll do it do it the right way tomorrow. So.